بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We continuing tonight with the fiqh Oh, sorry, with the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from the book Al-Lu'lu'l Maknoon. And last week, we ended off with speaking about the, the incidents that happened in the life of Abdul Muttalib, Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which was the, the incident of the, the elephant. And also... The digging of the well of Zamzam, correct? And then we spoke about the father of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib and his uh, marriage to Amina binti Wahb. And uh, what happened with him? He passed away whilst she was pregnant. She gave birth, of course, to the Prophet as a yatim, as an orphan. Um, and so forth, correct? So tonight we move on. The next chapter that the author mentions is Min al Sharifi ila Nuzul al Wahi. This is the chapter heading, which is from the blessed birth to the sending of Wahi, or, the, the, or until the revelation, or the, the, nah, the sending of revelation. So this chapter will deal with from the blessed birth up until the descending of, of revelation. So the first issue that we will deal with is Wiladatun Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the birth of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The author Rahima or the author Hafizahullah he says, من عام الفيل ولد سيد الخلق محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم في شعب بني هاشم بمكة المكرمة. He says that during the day on يوم الاثنين which is a a Monday يوم الاثنين is on a Monday الثانية عشرة من ربيع الأول on the twelfth of ربيع الأول in the year of the elephant عام الفيل Amil Fil It was known as the Year of the Elephant And we know the story The leader of creation Sayyidul Khalq Was born Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam In the tribe of Bani Hashim In Mecca al-Mukarramah In the tribe of Bani Hashim In Mecca al-Mukarramah Al-Hafid ibn Kathir Rahimahullah He said This is what is well known According to the majority of scholars. And Allah knows best. This is what is well known according to the majority of scholars. However, the author doesn't touch on, and we will touch on it, that there is a difference of opinion on the, the date of the birth of Rasulullah As for the day of Monday, then there is no difference of opinion over this. Okay? As for Amul Fil, the year of the elephant, there is no difference of opinion over this. But the exact day, which Monday in that year was it? This is where the ulama differed. Some scholars said it was in Safar. Some said Ramadan. Right? Just to show how much, how far certain scholars differed on this issue. And then majority was within Rabi'ul Awal. But some even said Rabi'ul Akhir. Some said Rabi'ul Akhir. The following month. But majority are we within Rabi'ul Awal. And this is the strongest opinion. And it varies from between the 8th of Rabi'ul Awal up until the 12th. This is the strongest view. It is within this time frame. Between the 8th of Rabi'ul Awal up until the, the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal. So even Kathir Rahimahullah in his book Asira Nabawiyah he mentions some of the opinions. So he says some of them said the second of Rabi'ul Awal. Some ulama said the second of Rabi'ul Awal. This is narrated from Al-Waqidi from Abu Ma'shar 
Nujaish al Madani. This is his view on the second of Rabi'ul Awal. Other ulama said on the eighth of Rabi'ul Awal. This was narrated by Humayri from Ibn Hazm, Rahimahullah. Also, this was narrated from Malik and Aqil and others from Az Zuhri, classical Imam from the Tabi'in, who narrated from Muhammad ibn Jubair ibn Mut'im. Muhammad ibn Jubair ibn Mut'im, he is also a Tabi'i, met the Sahaba. This was his view. And he was known to be Arifun bin Nasab. He was a man who was known to be knowledgeable about lineage. Muhammad ibn Jubair ibn Mut'im was known to be knowledgeable on these issues of lineage. What, what was his view? The eighth of Rabiul Awal. And Ibn Abdul Bar al-Maliki says many scholars and many historians, they authenticated this view. Many historians, what was their view? The eighth of Rabiul Awal, like Al-Hafidh Muhammad ibn Musa al-Khawarizmi and Hafidh Abu al-Khattab uh, Ibn Dihya, for example, two well-known historians. They were also of the view that it was on the 8th of Rabi'ul Awal. Then he mentions the 10th of Rabi'ul Awal, which was narrated from Ibn Asakir, from Abu Ja'far al-Baqir, also narrated from Al-Mujalid, from Ash-Shi'bi, classical Imams, who held the view of the 10th of Rabi'ul Awal. Then we've got the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal, which was mentioned by Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Ishaq in his book, also, there's a narration on this, on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal from Jabir and Ibn Abbas, two Sahaba, right? Two Sahabis, Jabir and Ibn Abbas, عنهم, they said that the Prophet was born in the year of the elephant on a Monday on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal, on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal. And then they went further and said, on Monday his mission began, prophecy, a prophethood began, and he was taken into the heavens, Isra al-Mi'raj. And he made hijrah on a Monday. And he also died on a Monday. This narration is in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba. So there's a narration for the, the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal, which is a strong view. What was the other strong view? The 8th of Rabi'ul Awal. Tayyip. Then there's another view which Ibn Kathir didn't mention, which is the 9th of Rabi'ul Awal. Which is the, the 9th of Rabi'ul Awal. The view of the ninth of Rabiul Awal, many latter-day historians view to be the strongest. After the study of astrology and mathematics and so forth, many of them came to the conclusion that the, the ninth was the strongest view. And they did a whole calculation, working their way backwards through the years, you know, <coughs> and they came to the conclusion that it was on the, the ninth. This was the Egyptian Mahmoud Pasha or Basha. He wrote books on this issue. And also this was the view of uh, Professor Mahmoud Al-Khudar and Safiyur Rahman Mubarak Furi. Who is Safiyur Rahman Mubarak Furi? He should be, well, he is well known. He is the author of Rahiq Al-Makhtoum, The Sealed Nectar. You read this book? Yeah. Right, you read the book, Alhamdulillah. The Sealed Nectar. The author of that book is Safiyur Rahman Mubarak Furi. He is of the opinion on the, the ninth of Rabiul Awal. So, yes, what happened was, is I think it was in 1979-1980, there was a competition held by the Muslim World League, uh, a worldwide competition to see which scholar can write the best book of Sirah. And that's the book that won. That book won, the sealed nectar. Okay, so, in that book he will mention the 9th of Rabiul Awal, not the 12th. If you go to his birth on that book, you will see, he says in there, the ninth of Rabi'ul Awal and not the twelfth. So we see that the scholars differed. Allah knows best exactly when it was. One of the reasons they differed was because back then birthdays were not documented. Birthdays were not documented like it is today. In fact, if you go back just a few hundred years to many of our forefathers, they didn't know the birthday. Wasn't something that was ever given importance. Rather, the Arabs they would document and say he was born in the year of the elephant. Something major happened. We spoke about how this became a historical event that they spoke about. He was born in the year of the elephant. But with, even with the dates, the scholars differed. So this seems to be the strongest opinion, the 8th or the ninth. 
the eighth or the ninth of Rabiul Awwal seems to be the strongest opinion. Let's say the ninth and Allah Azza wa Jal um, knows best. Right? Because in a case like this, we can use astrology and we can use those types of knowledge to get to the correct view. And this is what the, the people who are knowledgeable in those sciences, this is what they concluded that he was born on the ninth of Rabi'ul Awwal and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. In a hadith in Sahih Muslim, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked about fasting on the Monday and he said, Fihi wulittu wa fihi unzila alayhi. On that Monday, on a Monday, he said, I was born and I was, I received wahi. It, uh, it, it was revealed unto me. So it's confirmed that it was definitely a Monday. He says in a hadith. In another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Wulittu. Or Afwan Qais ibn Makhrama, he says, Qais ibn Makhrama, Sahabi, he says, Wulittu ana wa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Amal fili. He says that I and the Messenger of Allah were born when? Both of us was born in the year of the elephant. So this comes in authentic hadith. Hence we see there's no difference of opinion over, over the, the year and the Monday. The date was the different over issue and that's the conclusion that we basically mentioned. Um, then they also mentions two <coughs> wisdoms or reasons why he was born in this month, Rabi'ul Awwal. Rabi', what does it mean? It means spring. Rabi'ul Awwal means spring. Spring has come. As we are, today is the first spring for us as well. Right? So, for example, this is just extracted from the scholars. Some of them said, he is Sharia, his legislation that he came with, resembled that of springtime, of Rabi'ah. His Sharia that he came with, resembled that of springtime. For example, the Sharia that he came with, is the most balanced. Just like spring is the most balanced of seasons. Right? Just like spring is the most balanced of seasons. That's one reason. Another reason is, um, spring, the scholar says is that, if you look at the origin and the root of this word, and, and uh, we, we, we look at it from, from, from an optimistic side of things, in, in, in just like, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he was born, what did he bring? He brought a lot of barakah and khair and goodness into the world and nur. Likewise, what does spring bring when it comes? It brings, you know, the blossoming and the farming and all these things starts to uh, grow and it starts to bloom and so forth. Similar. This was like the coming of the Prophet like when spring comes, something similar. This is just what the scholars came up with and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Tayyip, the next uh, issue is things that happened. Things that happened when he was born. Certain signs, certain things happened at the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Number one is there was a light that appeared from his mother which lit up the palaces of Sham, which lit up the palaces of Syria. The hadith in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, with a good chain of narration from Irbald ibn radiallahu anhu, he said, I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, Inni indallahi maktubun, maktubun bi khatamin nabiyyin. He said, I am indeed with Allah azza wa jal, I was written, as the seal of the prophets. And this was while Adam was still in the form of mud. Whilst Adam was still in the form of mud in the ground. And he, what's he saying? That he was written to be the seal of the prophets before the creation of Adam. And then he says, I will inform you of the uh, Da'watu Abi Ibrahim. He says, I was the answer to the prayer of Ibrahim, my father Ibrahim. I am the, the answer to the prayer or the dua of my father Ibrahim. What is this dua he's talking about? We find it in the Quran where Ibrahim alayhi salam, he said, Rabbana wa ba'ath bihim rasulan, 
منهم يتلو عليهم آياتك ويعلمهم الكتاب والحكمة ويزكيهم إنك أنت العزيز الحكيم إبراهيم said Oh our Lord send with, send with them within them a messenger from amongst them who will recite upon them your ayat and he will teach them the book and the hikmah which some say is the sunnah and he will purify them this was the message that was sent this is the dua of Ibrahim so he says I am the answer to the prayer of my father Ibrahim and I am the glad tidings that Isa came with that Isa informed his people of what's this glad tidings we find this also in the Quran Surah Al-Saf when Isa said to the people and remember when Isa said O people O Bani Israel indeed I am a messenger of Allah unto you confirming what came before me of the Torah and I am bringing you glad tidings of a messenger ismuhu Ahmad of a messenger that will come after me and his name will be Ahmad bring you glad tidings the prophet says in this hadith I am the glad tidings that my brother Isa mentioned and then he carries on and he says وَرُؤْيَا أُمِّي وَرُؤْيَا أُمِّي أَلَّتِي رَأَتْ حِينَ وَضَعَتْنِي and I am also the dream that my mother saw when she gave birth to me أَنَّهُ خَرَجَ مِنْهَا نُورٌ أَضَاءَتْ لَهُ وَأَضَاءَتْ لَهَا مِنْهُ قُصُورُ الشَّامِ She saw in a dream what? That when she gave birth to me, a light emanated from her that illuminated, illuminated the palaces in Sham, in, in Greater Syria. In another hadith, in the Mustadrak of, of Al-Hakim, with an authentic chain of narration from Khalid ibn Ma'dan, from the, the, message, the, the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he said, Ya Rasulullah, that they said, Ya Rasulullah, akhbirna an nafsik. They said, Oh Messenger of Allah, inform us about yourself. So he said, Da'watu Abi Ibrahim. I am the answer to the prayer of my father Ibrahim. Wa bushra Isa, and the glad tidings of Isa. Wa ra'at ummi hina hamalat bi. And my mother, she saw in a dream when she was pregnant with me, she saw as if a light came out of her and illuminated the palaces of Busra. And Busra is in the land of Sham, of Syria. So these were some of the miracles that happened at the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he says that these narrations necessitate that when she was pregnant, when Amina was pregnant with him, she had a dream that light came out of, of her that lit the palaces of Sham. So she firstly saw this in a, in a dream. And when she gave birth to him, she saw with her own eyes the realization of this dream, just as she had seen it before that. So what happened was is, initially she dreamt that this happened. But when she gave birth, it actually happened. When she gave birth, she saw the realization of this noor spreading across, you know, the horizon and so forth, which would have reached the, the palaces of Busra or the palaces of Sham. Al-Hafid ibn Kathir also says, the reason why Sham is specified and specifically mentioned with this noor that reaches it is a sign that, or a sign of the stability of the deen of the Prophet in Sham. That Sham, or that this deen will remain in Sham. This deen will be there until the end of time. Just like this Noor, when it came and it lit up all the way to Sham, that light, that Noor that the Prophet came with, that deen, will remain until the end of time. And he then carries on and he says, this is why Sham, in the end of time, what's going to happen? Sham will become a fortress for Islam and its people. And who is going to come to Sham? Isa alayhi salam. The hadith says that he will Nazala bidi mashq bil manarati sharqiyatil bayda' minha. The hadith of Sahih Muslim says that Isa alayhi salam will descend in Damascus. 
at a white minara to the east of Damascus. A white minara to the east of Damascus. This is where Isa will descend. This happens where in Sham. And this is what he mentions a hadith, Ibn Kathir, a hadith that comes in Bukhari and Muslim, where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لا تزال طائفة من أمتي ظاهرين على الحق لا يضرهم من خذلهم ولا من خالفهم حتى يأتي أمر الله وهم كذلك. He then mentions this hadith where the Prophet said that a, a group from my ummah will continue to be openly and apparently on the haq, clearly upon the haq. Those who uh, oppose them or those who abuse them will not harm them, will not affect them until the, 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 the affair of Allah comes, till Qiyamah comes basically. They will stay this way. They won't, be, they won't change. Understand? In a version in Bukhari, Mu'adhin said, Wahum bisham. This group will be in Sham. This group will be in Sham. So this could mean that at the end of the time, this is what Mu'adh is speaking about, that group that stays firm. This is the people of Sham. Understand? Although the hadith is more uh, comprehensive than that, more general than just at that moment in Sham. This is why Al-Bukhari himself said, they are Ahlul Ilm. What is, who are these, this group? This group that will remain firm, they are the true scholars of, of the deen, the true ulama. Imam Ahmad said, إِنْ لَمْ يَكُونُ أَهْلَ الْحَدِيثِ فَلَا أَدْرِي مَنْهُمْ If this group is not the Ahlul Hadith, the people of Hadith, then I don't know who they are. Then I have no idea who they can possibly... Meaning he's saying it can only be the people of Hadith. Understand? The people who follow Hadith, their deen is based upon Hadith, Quran and Sunnah. The, the, the people of reports and Athar. يعني سلفية, what we know it to be. Not what we see, unfortunately, from certain uh, groups within, you know. But... This is the true methodology. The people of Hadith, this is the, the, the righteous group. In fact, Al-Nawi rahimahullah said, وَيُحْتَمَلُ أَنَّ هَذِهِ الطَّائِفَةِ مُفَرَّقَةِ بَيْنَ أَنْوَاعِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And he basically said that it's possible that this group that will remain firm like this, they could be, they could be split up amongst the, the believers. Amongst different types of believers. So from amongst them are the the brave warriors that are fighting. From amongst them are the fuqaha, the scholars of fiqh. From amongst them are the muhaddithun, the scholars of hadith. From amongst them are the zuhad, the people of zuhd, the ascetics that, that have no inclination to this dunya, they've, you know, the importance to the deen. And those who enjoy the good and forbid the evil, people of da'wah, people who give nasiha, people who when they see wrong, they rectify it. When they see a wajib not being fulfilled, they command the good. And he says, وَمِنْهُمْ أَهْلُ أَنْوَاعٍ أُخْرَى مِنَ الْخَيْرِ He says that all types of people of goodness, they are part of this group. Of course, we believe that they have to be with the correct aqeedah. Understand that tawheed and aqeedah has to be in place. And as long as you are the people of khayr, whether it's your charitable person, person in da'wah, person who gives nasiha, but you can be from amongst this ta'ifah, this group that will stay upon the haqq. Um, and so forth. So that's the first issue regarding the birth, that this light emanated, right? Until it illuminated the palaces of Sham. Then we spoke about some of the virtues of Sham and the hadith that Ibn Kathir mentioned. Number two is Zuhurun Najmi, that there was a star that appeared. There was a, a certain star that appeared. And this is narrated by Ibn Ishaq in his book, Asirah. With a good chain of narration from Hassan ibn Thabit. Hassan ibn Thabit, famous companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, Wallahi inni lahulamun yafa'ah. Ibn sab'in aw thamanin. He says, I was a young boy. Yafa'ah. Meaning I, I, I just achieved buluh. Uh, uh, became balih. A youngster, growing. But he says he was about seven or eight years old. However, he says, I understood everything that I heard. Meaning he came to an, he was at an age where understood. understood everything. Right? So he says, I heard a Jewish man. He said, I heard a Jewish man standing on a high building top. 
and shouting out to the people with a high voice, with a highly raised voice. Oh Jews, Ya Ma'ashara Yahud, oh Jews. Until they all came to him. And they said to him, What's up with you? What's wrong with you? Woe unto you. Why are you screaming? Why are you calling us? And he said that the star of Ahmad was born. By which it will, has appeared tonight. The star of Ahmad has appeared tonight by which he was born. The star of Ahmad has appeared tonight by, by which he was born. So these Jews, remember, they had scriptures of the old. Of old. And they knew about this coming. And when they saw this specific star, this Jewish man knew. This is the star of that prophet that we know is going to come. Of Ahmad. And he called out to them. Right? So this happened at his birth as well. This happened at his birth as well. This star appeared. Number three is, he was born with his head raised to the sama. He was born with his head raised to the sama. This hadith is in Ibn Hibban's Sahih. And also Ibn Ishaq mentions it in his seerah with a cut of chain of the narration that Amina binti Wahbin, the mother of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she said that then I gave birth to him and he did not uh, he was not born like a normal child. She says he was born and he came out supporting himself with his hand on the, on the earth. Supporting himself with his hand on the earth. Raising his head to the, to the sama. Raising his head to the sama. This is the way he was born. This is another miracle of the, from the birth of um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. طيب. Those three things we can rely on, insha'Allah, according to the author. But there are many other things that have been mentioned which are inauthentic. So he mentions some of them, and you find this in many books. From amongst them is that he was born, well, when he was born, the palaces of Kisra shook. The palaces of Kisra. They shook violently. Secondly, 14 balconies from the palaces of Kisra collapsed. 14 balconies from the palaces of Kisra collapsed. Thirdly, the fire which the Majus used to worship, which they used to worship, was extinguished, was put out. Also, the lake of Sawa or Sawa sank down and collapsed. The lake of Sawa sank down and collapsed. Right? And also at this lake there was places of worship where people used to worship Mushrikeen. All of these things were destroyed at the birth of Rasulullah. But the author says none of this is authentically narrated. None of this is authentically narrated. And then he mentions some scholars who, who commented on this mentions like Muhammad al-Ghazali for example who said that the, this kalam that you know get from amongst the people who mention these things he says it's an incorrect expression for something which was for an authentic uh, conception authentic idea yani that these things were eventually put out by the coming of the Prophet you know the place of shirk and kufr but to attribute these narrations to his birth is also incorrect. This is because the, the birth of the Prophet ﷺ was truly a foreshadow. It was a foreshow for the removal of, of oppression and wrongdoing and zulm and the perishing of its people and the crushing of their teachings. Definitely his birth was the, was the foreshadow for this, for this to come. But then he says, when people who loved him after you know after he he freed them from the constraints of 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 of, dhulm, of oppression and, and tyranny they conceived this in their mind and they pictured you know all of these foundational things that the Prophet came with and many of them then added things they then added riwayat which are inauthentic reports and narrations which are made up fabricated um, 
And then he says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ghaniyun an hadha kulli. He says, he's not in need of this. The message of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not in need of this. These false narrations. He says, because his status, his tremendous, huge, mammoth status, in reality, is already so great that he doesn't need fables. He doesn't need fabrications to come and, you know, add false information. What we know about him is yakfi. It's, it's sufficient. It's good enough already. Understand? So this is the issue of the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Are there any questions so far? Tayyib, we move to the next topic or sub subheading which is Khitanu Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama which was the circumcision of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The author says as for the circumcision of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then what is correct is that Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather, he did his circumcision on the seventh day. Right? And this is according to the traditions of the Arabs. Um, and this is narrated from Ibn Abdul Bar in Isti'ab and Ibn Abbas from Ibn Abbas that Abdul Muttalib did the circumcision of the Prophet on his seventh day and he had a feast or a banquet for him. Right? And he had a feast and a banquet for him. So this happened on the seventh day. Again, there are narrations which mention that he was born circumcised. He was born circumcised, but all of them are weak. All of them, they are inauthentic. So I'm not going to even go and read them. I'll read one of them. The Prophet said, from the, my miracles upon Allah is that he, I was born circumcised and nobody saw my private parts. This is a narration, but it's inauthentic. It's inauthentic and it cannot be relied upon, right? Um, one narration says that Abdul Muttalib, when he heard about this, he said, then this my son or this my, of mine will be something great. But again, this is something inauthentic. Um, in fact, some of the scholars said these narrations are fabricated. Like Ibn al-Jawzi mentioned it in his book of fabrications. Tayyip. So what did we say is correct? Abdul Muttalib did the circumcision on the seventh day. This was the traditions of the Arabs. This is what he did. Uh, this is what is authentic and Allah knows best. Then the author speaks about the happiness of Abdul Muttalib by the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He says that when Amina, his mother gave birth to him, she sent for the grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, informing him of the birth of his grandson and he became extremely happy by this and he saw this as a glad tiding now remember this is the son of whom this is the son of whom of abdul muttalib's favorite son abdullah was his favorite son the most beloved to him so this is his son so you can think this is again something someone extremely special to him understand his favorite son's son who had obviously passed away, now this grandson is now the apple of his eye. Um, so he did the, on the seventh day, he did the circumcision, and he slaughtered a ram for him, as his aqiqah, and he had a banquet, or a feast for him, and he named him Muhammad. وَسَمَّاهُ مُحَمَّدًا صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ And the Quraysh, this was a name that they were not used to. This was a strange name for them. And many of them were surprised by this name. And so they came to him and they asked him, you know, you, you gave him a name that's not known to his people. Why did you give him this name? So he said to them, I wanted that he will be praised by Allah in the heavens and by the creation in the world. Muhammad, the praised one. So he said, I want that for him to be praised with in the heavens by Allah and in the dunya by, by creation. Hence I named him Muhammad, the praised one. And it is said that the reason why he gave this name, another reason that's narrated, 
is that Abdul Muttalib, he went on a travel to Sham for some business with three of his companions. So four of them, they traveled together to Sham for business. When they were in Sham, they met with a monk. They met with a monk, who was a religious guy. And they asked him, Min aina antum? he asked him, where are you from? They said, we are from Mecca. So he said to them, indeed in your, pl- your city, سَيَخْرُجُ مِنْهَا nabi, A prophet will come from there. So they asked him, what will the name of this prophet be? And he said, Ismuhu Muhammad. The monk said his name will be Muhammad. And this name again was not known to them. It wasn't a common name for them. It wasn't used amongst them. So when the four of them returned, Abdul Muttalib and his three friends, each one promised and said, if any of us has another son, we will name him Muhammad. We will name him Muhammad, hoping that he's going to be the prophet, that this monk informed them all. So Abdul Muttalib, he grew old, right? He didn't have another son, perhaps, and only after his son, his grandson from Abdullah comes, he names him Muhammad. Could be, this is one of the reasons that is narrated as to why he narrated him. As for the other three companions, the one was Sufyan ibn Mujashi'in, he named his son Muhammad. And the other one was Uhayha ibn Jallah, he named his son Muhammad. And the other one was Himran ibn Rabi'ah, he also named his son Muhammad. These were the first people to have these names. All four of them, for the same reason, they heard from this monk that there will be a man born in Medina who will become a prophet and his name will be Muhammad. So they each gave this, their children this name, Muhammad. So this is... Uh, possibly Allah knows best. Yeah, remember Abdul Muttalib? Perhaps they were younger than him. The others, Allah knows best. Um, so this is the story of his birth. His aqiqah was done. His khitan was done. Circumcision. And he was named all by who? By his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. His father was not there. So the grandfather basically took care of these uh, formalities, you can say. Um... The author then mentioned some poetry from Hassan ibn Thabit. I will read it, but and give a rough translation. Won't be, don't do justice to the Arabic, but he says, "Aghru alayhi lil nubuwati khatamun min Allahi mashhudun yaluhu wa yashhadu." He says that uh, you were honored and esteemed with with the the seal of prophethood from Allah, and this was something witnessed and shining and gleaming and glowing. Wadhamma ilahu. اسم النبي لا اسمه إذا قال في الخمس المؤذن أشهدوا. and he says that the, the, the Lord he combined his name with the name of the prophet whenever the muaddin says five times a day أشهدوا. وشق له من اسمه ليجله فذو العرش محمود وهذا محمد. and then he said he divided his name to honor him further. Because the owner of the Arsh is Mahmud, and this is Muhammad. He is Mahmud, the, all pra- the praised one, the praiseworthy, and this is Muhammad, also the praised one. Nabiyun atana ba'da ya'sin wa fatratin min al-rusli wal-awthanu bil-ardi tu'badu. He says, a prophet who came to us after a time of hopelessness and desperation, and a time where the messengers and idols were worshipped, tu'badu, in this world. فأمسى سراجا مستنيرا وهاديا يلوح كما لاح الصقيل المهند. He says that he became a light which was illuminated and a guide which was gleaming and shining like that glazed and polished sword gleams and shines. وأنذرنا نارا وبشر جنة وعلمنا الإسلام فالله نحمد. He says he warned us from the fire and he gave us glad tidings of paradise. وَعَلَّمَنَا نِتُوتَسْ إِسْلَامِ And all praises, we, 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 and for Allah is, we, do we praise. وَأَنْتَ إِلَاهَ الْخَلْقِ رَبِّي وَخَالِقِي بِذَلِكَ مَا عَمَّرْتُ فِي النَّاسِ أَشْهَدُ He says, and you are the Lord of creation, my Lord and my creator. And by this, I lived amongst the people, أَشْهَدُ أَبِي وَتْنَسْ 
تَعَالَيْتَ رَبَّ النَّاسِ عَنْ قَوْلِ مَنْ دَعَى سِوَاكَ إِلَاهًا أَنْتَ أَعْلَى وَأَمْجَدُ Exalted are you, the Lord of mankind, from what they say or what they call upon from beside you of gods. أَنْتَ أَعْلَى وَأَمْجَدُ You are the most high and the most glorious. لَكَ الْخَلْقُ وَالنَّعْمَاءُ وَالْأَمْرُ كُلُّهُ فَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَهْدِي وَإِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ To you belongs all of creation and all grace and kindness and all of the affairs belongs to you. فَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَهْدِي وَإِيَّاكَ نَعْبَدُ And you alone do we seek guidance and from you alone and you alone do we worship. That's the poetry that the Sheikh ended the chapter with. The translation, probably a bit of a rough translation, but Alhamdulillah. The next chapter is رَضَاعُ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ Deals with the suckling or the nursing of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the first person that nursed him, what do we mean by nursed him? Breastfeed him, right? Was who? Was his mother, Amina. Amina was the first one to breastfeed him. Some say it was for three days, some say for seven days, and some say for nine days. Okay, three, seven, or nine is what has been mentioned by certain ulama. Then, Thuwaybah, a lady by the name of Thuwaybah, then uh, nursed him, and she nursed him for some days. This is before the, the coming of who? Halima Sa'diyah. So the first one was who? His mother. Then he was moved to a lady by the name of Thuwaybah. Now Thuwaybah, she also nursed before him Hamza. Ibn Abdul Muttalib. Hamza was who? His uncle, his father's brother, the son of Abdul Muttalib. Hamza. And she also nursed after him Abu Salamah, Ibn Abdul Asad al Makhzumi. Okay? So this lady, Thuwayba, she nursed who? Hamza. Then the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then Abu Salamah. Abu Salama. Three of them, she, he, he, uh, this lady, Thuwaybah, she uh, breastfed these three men. Right? Hamza, we know about Hamza, the, the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But what does this also tell us? He was also his milk brother. Because he was nursed by the same woman. So Hamza was his milk brother and his uncle. And his uncle. Understand? The lady Thuwaybah, the scholars, they were unsure whether she accepted Islam or not. Later on, they don't, we don't know. It hasn't been narrated. Allah knows best. Um, so Hamza, his uncle and his milk brother, he was known as Asadu, Asadullah, the Lion of Allah, for his bravery and strength and courageousness. And he did hijrah with the Prophet one of the first people to accept Islam. And he was about two or four years older than the Prophet Two or four years older than the Prophet He accepted Islam in the second year. In the second year. Okay? And he was with the Prophet at all times as a, as a form of strength and stability. Made hijrah with him. He fought in Badr. And he was killed by Wahshi ibn Harb. In the battle of Uhud. So he was of the, uh, the, the fighters in Badr. And he was killed in the battle of, uh, of Uhud. The other milk brother is then Abu Salama. Abu Salama ibn Abdul Asad al-Makhzumi. Who was this man? As-Sayyid al-Kabir. From the earliest of people to accept Islam also. Right? He was the 11th person to accept Islam. Abu Salama, his milk brother was the? 11th person to accept Islam. Right? And he was the milk brother as we said. And also the cousin of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Also the, the cousin of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He also fought in Badr and he died shortly after the Battle of Uhud. He died shortly after the Battle of Uhud. Tayyip. Then there's two ahadith that the author mentions. The first in Bukhari from Umm Habibah, the daughter of Abu Sufyan, عنه, she said, 
that we said to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it seems that you want to get married to the daughter of Abu Salama. So he said, the daughter of Um Salama. Are we talking about the same person as if he's saying that? So he said, yes, naam. They said, yes. They said, لو أنها لم تكن رابيبتي في حجري ما حلت لي. He says, even if she were not my stepdaughter in my home, she would not be permissible for me. Why? إنها لبنة أخي من الرضاعة. Because she is my, my foster niece. Or she is the daughter of my milk brother, Abu Salama. So I cannot get married to her in any case. Right? أرضعتني وأبو سلمة ثويبة. So he mentions this lady. That lady gave, she, she suckled me and she also suckled Abu Salama. So do not offer me your daughters nor your sisters, he says in a hadith. Okay? This proves that they were suckled by Thuwayba and that's his milk brother, Abu Salama. Then, in another hadith from Ibn Abbas, it was said to the Prophet ibn Hamza. Do you not want to get married to the daughter of Hamza? Hamza. Now, Hamza was his uncle, correct? So technically, Hamza's daughter is his first cousin. Had it been just that, it would have been halal. He could have married the daughter of Hamza, no problem. But, the Prophet said, إِنَّهَا لَا تَحِلُّ لِي She is not permissible for me. إِنَّهَا إِبْنَةُ أَخِي مِنَ الرَّضَاعَةِ Because she is the daughter of my milk brother. My milk brother. And he says, وَيَحْرُمْ مِنَ الرَّضَاعَةِ مَا يَحْرُمْ مِنَ النَّسَبِ Whatever is forbidden through lineage is also forbidden through suckling. Through suckling or through breastfeeding. Understand? So that was the first person who, or the second one, sorry, after his mother, was a lady by the name of Thuwayba. Then the author moves on and he says, Istirda'u fi bani Sa'd. So, he's suckling that happened in the Bani Sa'd, the tribe of Bani Sa'd. He says that Abdul Muttalib requested for the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, woman that would come and nurse him. And this was the Ada of the Arabs. This was their tradition. This was their custom. That the people of Makkah, they would find a person, a suitable person, to, you can say, raise their child in the early days and suckle and nurse their children in the desert. Not in the city, but outside of the city into the desert. Why is this? There were some reasons for this. Firstly, that that child grows up amongst the, the Bedouins because the Bedouins were known to be the most eloquent in their language. So this was the first reason. That the first word that this child hears growing up is Clean Arabic, pure, unadulterated eloquency. You understand? This was one reason. Secondly, that this will be, um, this will also be better for them physically. That they will grow up in, in the desert and away from luxury. And away from the, the ways of the people in the city. So this leads to them being stronger physically and more able and tougher, tougher people. In fact, the author mentions the statement of Umar al Khattab, anhu, Amir al Mu'minin, where he said, Ikhshawshinu, wakhshawshibu, wakhlawliku, watamadadu, kaannakum ma'ad, wa iyakum watana'um. Ikhshawshinu. Means harden up. Umar ibn Khattab said, harden up, toughen up. And he learned to endure mentally and physically. Learn to endure. Be people who can endure. Not a softy. And be a person who's prepared. Prepare and be ready. And um, be tough again, he says. Grow up. Grow up and be strong. As if you are Ma'ad. Ma'ad was a, was, was, a, was a tribe of people. Ma'ad was a people who were rough and tough. 
strong people. He says, go up and be prepared and, and harden up like them, as if you are from amongst them. That's what Umar used to say. And then he said, وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالتَّنَعُمْ And beware of comfort and luxury. Beware of comfort and luxury. This is what Umar, this was the advice of Umar al-Khattab, that people should be hard and tough and strong and ready and be able to endure and be physically and mentally strong as if you are from the Ma'ad group. The Ma'ad people who are tough and, 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 and strong and hard people. And then he said, beware of luxury and comfort. Because it leads to laziness, leads to weakness. وَهَكَذَا And this is why the, this was, this was the, this was how the Arabs were. And this is why they sent their, their children to be reared and to be brought up in the desert so that they can grow up like this, strong and firm and not weak and not meek. Understand? Um, so this was the, 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 the wisdom behind it, that they grow up in the most pure of places, meaning natural of places. No mixing of any cultures, no, it's just pure. The air is pure, the food is pure, you know, so the, the language is pure. They get used to the, the harshness of the desert, fending for yourself, the heat, the, the, the weather, and so forth. All of this was, this was the reasons why they were sent there. Emotionally, physically, they develop. And they come back stronger. Understand? These were some of the reasons why the Arabs would send. This was the custom. And the same was done with um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What then happened was is the woman from the desert, they would then go out to the cities and go find children to, to suckle and to look after. So Abdul Muttalib, he therefore sought one of these women from the, the clan of Sa'ad ibn Bakr. Sa'ad ibn Bakr. This was the tribe where he sought a, a woman that will suckle his grandson. And this woman was who? Halima bint Abi Dhu'ayb al-Sa'diyya. So we should know this name. She's known as Halima al-Sa'diyya. She's known as Halima al-Sa'diyya. But she's also the daughter of Abi Dhu'ayb. Abi Dhu'ayb. Halima, the daughter of Abi Dhu'ayb al-Sa'diyya. Her husband's name was Harith al-Harith. And he was he had the kunya of Abi Kabshah. And he was from the same tribe. Sa'ad ibn Bakr is the tribe. Sa'ad ibn Bakr. So the story of Halima is a beautiful story which we will end off on, inshaAllah. Halima mentions the story of how she came to breastfeed the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and she says, she says, I went out of our city, of our town with my husband and our child that was also being breastfed. From amongst the women of Bani Sa'ad ibn Bakr. This was the tribe, Sa'ad ibn Bakr. So the women would go together to the cities to get children, take them back. This was a form of income for them. Understand? This was a form of income for them. So she said, we went, all of these women, my husband was with me, my child was with me, seeking a ruda'a bi Makkah. Going out to find a child that we can nurse from Makkah. So she says, this was in the year Sanatin Shahba. Was in a year of Shahba. Shahba means a year of drought. A year of difficulty, of drought, where there was no rain at all. No rain, no crops at all. So they went out in this year. She says, Lam tubkilana shay'an. There was nothing for us. Nothing remained of crops, of produce. Absolutely nothing. فَخَرَجْتُ عَلَىٰ أَتَانٍ لِي قَمْرَاءَ مَعَنَا شَارِفٌ لَنَا وَاللَّهِ مَا تَبِضُّ بِقَطْرَةٍ She says, we went out and I, I left with on a donkey. أَتَانٍ A donkey which is a female donkey. I left on a female donkey which was white, extremely white. An extremely white female donkey. And with us, she says, we had a sharif. A sharif is an old camel, an, 
a camel of age already, which she says, by Allah, ma That camel had not a drop of milk. That camel could not produce even a drop of milk. And then she says, they were, we could not sleep at night basically. She says, why? Because our child that was with us was always crying because of hunger. The child that was with him was constantly crying and screaming throughout the night because of hunger. And she says, my breasts, my yugni, couldn't give him anything. Because she doesn't eat, she's not nourished, hence she cannot produce milk for her child. And nor in the sharif, in that old camel that they had, he also had no produce. She said, however, we had hope in some assistance and help and relief. We hoped some assistance and help and relief will come. And this was how they traveled. Severe heat and drought and they had nothing with them basically. So she says, I left upon this donkey of mine and I continued upon this ride until this became extremely difficult upon, you know, upon it. Da'fan wa'ajafan in terms of weakness and tiredness and so forth. It was a difficult journey until we reached Makkah and we searched for a child to to get, right, to rear and to suckle and so forth. And so she says, there was not a single woman from amongst them that came except that the Prophet was offered to her and that, except that she rejected. Understand this? All of these women that came looking for a child, every single one of them, the Prophet was offered to them as a child and all of them they rejected. They said, no, we don't want him. Why? Because he was an orphan. He wasn't poor. He's from the elite of the Quraysh. But he was known as an orphan. So the moment they heard that he's an orphan, they said, no, he doesn't have a father. Who's going to pay? This is what they feared. Is the grandfather, is an old man, is the mother, she, what does she have? Immediately they said, no, we don't want him. They want a child who is a father who they know is going to, is going to pay. So, Nobody was interested in, in an orphan child. So what happened was is, all of the women got children except her. All of the women, they got children to take back except her. When they gathered together to leave, she said um, to her husband, I, I, I cannot, we can't go back and I don't have anybody. So she said, I will go and I'll take that, that, that yatim. I will go and I'll have to take the, the orphan child. So the husband said, you don't have to do it, but perhaps Allah will put barakah in it. You don't have to do it, but perhaps Allah will put barakah in it. So I went to him, she says, and I took him. And... Um, she says, I could not, there was no one else but him to take, right? So she ended up with the Prophet She then says, when I took him, I went back to my, my donkey and with my tent, sorry. And when I breastfed him, she went back to her tent. Now, this is before they left. She takes him into her, her, her tent and she places him on her breasts and he suckles. And whatever milk there was, came. And so he drank until he was satisfied. And then his brother drank until he was satisfied. This is her son now, that she traveled with, also drank until he was also satisfied and fulfilled. Then we slept. Then we slept. And then she says, and we did not sleep before this. We were unable to sleep before this because that child could never drink because there was no milk. And he would scream out of hunger. Now she slept. We slept. 
And then she says, my husband stood up and went to that old camel. And he was hafilun, meaning he was full of milk. This old camel that had not a drop of milk, all of a sudden was full of milk. فَحَلَبَ مِنْهَا وَشَرِبَ He milked it and he, they drank from it. I drank from it, she says, حَتَّى إِنْتَهَيْنَا رِيًّا وَشِبَعًا Until we stopped, we could not anymore and we were fulfilled and, sat and, and satisfied. فَبِتْنَا بِخَيْرِ لَيْلَةِ So we spent the night in the best of nights. They were, for the first time, they could sleep in peace. They were no longer hungry and starved and thirsty. They were fulfilled. And then, she said, I said to my husband in the morning, or he said to me in the morning, Do you know, by Allah, Ya Halima, I think that you have indeed taken a blessed person. I think you, you must have taken a blessed person because all of these things start to happen where before that they were in complete suffering and desperation. So she said, Wallahi, I hope so. I hope so. Then they left back to their village. On the same week, uh, donkey, she says, I carried the Prophet then with me. And she said, we then strode out such that none of the others could keep up with them, with us. And they would call out the other woman and said, Ya abnata abi Dhu'ayb, O daughter of Abu Dhu'ayb, Arbi'i alayna, wait for us, slow down. Don't rush, what do you, you know, slow down, uh, wait for us. And then they said, is this the same donkey that you came with? Is this the same donkey that you came with, that you, you know? So she said, Wallahi, this is the same donkey. It's the same one. So they said, this is something amazing. There's something amazing about this donkey. All of a sudden, we cannot keep up with this donkey. Then they reached their home in Bani Sa'd, the tribe. And she says, I did not know of any place or land. Ajdaba minha. That was uh, more barren than this land. This Bani Sa'd where they came from was the most barren of land. There was no plantation, no crops, no nothing. So she says, My our livestock that we had, our cattle, um, they would they came to me. As we arrived, our livestock and our cattle they came to us. And all of them had been satiated and full of milk. All of this livestock in a barren land. They were full. They were, you know, satisfied. And they were full of milk. So she said, we took from the milk and we drank. And she said, there was not a person except that they had no milk. It's a barren land. In a drought. In the middle of the desert. And they had nothing with them. Until when they saw what she had, they would say to the shepherds, Go out with the flock. Go get just like she has got. Why don't you have? How can she have? They would send them out. And each one would come back with not a drop of milk. And my flock and cattle would walk around fully satisfied, full of milk. This is what happened to Halima al-Sa'diyah when she took Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as the nursing as his nursing mother. So the Sheikh says, the author says, this is from the barakah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon Halima al-Sa'diyah and her husband al-Harith. And he stayed with her for two years. He stayed with her out in the desert for two years until she weaned him. Right? Until she weaned him off of the breast. And he grew up to a youngster, two years old. But he did not resemble a two-year-old. Rather, he was like a 14-year-old. He was like a 14-year-old boy. Halima, anha, she says, Allah Azza wa Jal continued to show us the blessings and we acknowledge those blessings until he reached the age of two years old. But, she says, he did not grow up like a normal boy grows up. He did not grow up like a, a normal boy grew up. Imam al-Dhahabi, rahimahullah, he says, he grew up in a day like a child grows up in a month. 
He grew up in a day like a child grows up in a, a month. And he grows up in a month like a child grows up in a, in a year. Like a child grows up in a year. This is what Al-Dhahabi rahimahullah said. And then Halima, she says, after two years, we then went back to Makkah to visit his mother. But we were most determined to take him back with us. That he must come back with us. We're not going to leave him behind. He must come back with us. Because we continue to see that barakah and all that goodness and blessings and khayr that came with. So we spoke to his mother and we said to her, you know, if only you leave him with us in Bani Sa'ad uh, some more until he, you know, toughens up even more and hardens up even more because we fear for him this diseases and this things going around in Makkah. The illnesses and diseases in Makkah, we don't have. Let him come back with us, he'll grow up for stronger and then we'll eventually send him back. So Halima says, we stayed with his mother until she returned him with us. Until she returned him with us. And then this is how he returned with Halima to Bani Sa'd. He then returned with Halima to, to Bani Sa'd where he stayed with her for some time. And we'll continue the story from there next week insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shalu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka. فأتوب إليك